Welcome to an anniversary edition of Talk Racing to Me with Naomi. Episode 20. Boom. Unbroken streak. So, so happy to have you all joining me again. Happy Forgo Day. And of course, one week left until the 2020 Kentucky Derby. This week, I'm joined by a very familiar face and voice to many. The one and only queen of the New York Racing Association, Maggie Wolfendale. When she talks, everyone listens. Her opinion, extensive experience and sharp eye have truly made her a unique and irreplaceable member of the Naira Broadcasting Team, which also includes the national Fox sports shows such as Saratoga Live and America's Day at the Races. Maggie is someone that I'm very fortunate to have had the opportunity to work with and learn from and continue to look up to. But before we get to the good stuff, subscribe, like, rate, review, do your thing, support the Talk Racing to Me with Naomi show and the amazing In The Money media network and family that I'm just so fortunate to be a part of. Pete, JK, Matt, Spencer, Nick and Drew behind the scenes. Please forgive me if I'm forgetting anyone. But let's get into today's episode full of horse racing knowledge, funny anecdotes and of course a little bit of handicapping and reviewing all of the action at the spa It's a very candid conversation. I didn't want to change anything or leave anything out. It's been fun. It's been honest. It truly has been a pleasure. So I'm drawing it to myself and the more exciting voice, Maggie Wolfendale. Maggie, finally get the chance to have you on my podcast. It's been, this is my 20th 20th episode, actually. I'm slightly offended it's taking you this long. (laughs) Jeez, Naomi. Just to have you in person, so here we are, and we are at Saratoga Racecourse in your office. But you had a chipmunk in here before. What was the story with that? So there was a very friendly chipmunk that I was sitting here at my desk, and I heard some rustling behind my fridge, and I thought it was a rat when it ran across the floor, and I screamed. I don't know why, because I've encountered millions of rats throughout my life, being in barns and stuff, but it was the cutest little chipmunk, and I started trying to feed um, some, him some of Acacia's popcorn, and he took kindly to that. So he stuck around when Acacia was in here, too. <laughs> but I haven't seen him since. And then he, we found out he was cheating on us down in the boys' office with uh, Greg and, and Mig, so... But um, I, I'm waiting for him to come back. He was he was definitely a, a very welcome guest to our office. I say with the lack of spectators. Uh, exactly. A <laughs> little bit of friendly relations there. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's lonely and it's quite a, a barren office. So we needed a little little liveliness here. Yeah, because you're also in a different location than you'd normally be in your office, right? Where would you normally be? Well, up until last year, I was in where the boys were, which it's pretty barren in there as well. And then last year we had the TV trailers. Um, but yeah, no, this kind of area is it, the, this, where I'm usually at for, for the time when I'm not down in the paddock. And how many Saratoga meets have you worked so far? 11? Um, wait, I think, wait, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. So, okay. So 10 doing this job. Sorry. And then the first year I was an intern. 
What would you do as an intern? I worked in the press office when we actually had a lot of press here. And what <laughs> 11 you, years ago. Were you writing articles or? Uh, mainly getting quotes, you know, compiling quotes, um, doing, you know, helping to the press, add to the press releases, uh, distributing overnights, just the, the, the office work that you get to do as an intern. <laughs> We'll definitely go back to your history, your career, sort of the different jobs you've held and you're starting out in Maryland where I'm currently mm-hmm. at with my full-time job, which is super cool. So we'll go back to that. But I wanted to get the important stuff out of the way first. Saturday's grade ones. It's Friday. We're recording on Friday. It's actually going to drop on Saturday. So I can say uh-huh. today's grade ones, so to speak. <laughs> Have you looked at the forego and the sword dancer yet? Uh, what are you thinking in the forego? Um, in the forego, it's such a a great mix of horses um you know we're, we're obviously missing volatile volatile and vacoma uh wishing they were both participating in that in the that race but it looks as though we'll see them um at belmont in the kelso i believe i think is the next race <laughs> this schedule's just been turned on its head so it's hard to remember which races are coming up next for you know our sprinters and middle distance running horses but um i'm really excited to see whitmore come back you know obviously it was a short field last time with volatile um and we had that incident at the gate where he broke through but you often don't see horses run that well and considering that volatile went out there and they let him walk on the front end i mean 23 for a horse that that is that fast is insane that's like him trotting basically around there um and whitmore still down behind him taking all the dirt and i thought really ran on valiantly um to finish second that day behind him and hopefully we don't see that type of scenario with the gate again um but he i think is possibly doing better than ever um what as a seven-year-old so i like the pairing with louis size again he's really excited to ride i just spoke to him in the winter circle and so i'm looking forward to him and then also uh, lexitonian for jack sisterson i mean considering maybe he's one of those horses that loves to ship i mean maybe you know there's been horses uh, going back that they sometimes they i remember my husband tom telling me about a horse that used to run I want to say in Hong Kong, a uh, very talented horse. I think he was owned by um, Godolphin. And they literally, since they have so much money, they would, even if he was running at the same track that he was stabled at, they'd take him up in the plane, fly him around, and then run him the next day. Yeah, craziness. But anyway, so Lexitonian has um, it has reacted well. Hopefully he holds it together in the gate this time around. But that, I mean... That race at um, Delmar was just so good. And when Jack gets high on his horses, and yes, Calumet, they love to have horses in the big races. But when Jack gets high on his horses, he is pretty darn right most of the time. We well, have three in the four go, so he's pretty yeah, uh, that's well true. equipped there. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Um, but I think Lexi Tony probably is, is the most talented. I think so too. Well, in at Del Mar, there was quite a fast pace for him to run into, though. Do you think it's going to be a similar setup here? There's been sort of comments that there might not be that much early speed in this year's renewal of the Forgo. I feel as though when there doesn't look to be any pace on paper, that's when you get a somewhat hot pace to develop. I mean, I think about going back to 
the Woody Stevens last year, for instance, where there didn't seem to be that many speed horses on paper. But the way the track was playing that day leading into that race, it looked to be a speed bias. And so everybody went. And so that set up things um, for Hog Creek Hustle, who came from the clouds. So like I said, sometimes you get those paces to develop. But in regards to Lexitonian, it's not as if he absolutely needs a supersonic pace. He can lay close. Um, he is drawn three. I wish he had a little bit more of an outside um, draw. I know that a lot of people are really excited about Fortin Hill, um, who posted a huge uh, speed figure in defeating Admundsen, or Amundsen, however you want to say his name, <laughs> uh, last time out. But has he really faced? I mean, yes, this might be the B level of our older sprinters, but these are nice horses. These are multiple grade one winners. You even have mind control dual grade one winner here at uh, Saratoga. You have Frenze Fire, grade one winner. Uh, win, 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 who was on the Kentucky Derby Trail. Complexity, his stable mate, has always hinted at greatness, has yet to really follow through, has trouble staying on the racetrack. Um, and then there's Whitmore, who, I mean, I already talked about him. I think Whitmore is the horse to beat, though, to, um, in the the forego. But it's a great race. I think it's the highlight race of the card tomorrow oh, on Saturday. <laughs> Absolutely. But I also wanted to get your opinion on the Sword Dance, which is the race after the forego. There's a couple of intriguing horses in here as well. Actually, no Chad Brown in here. And I was quite surprised. Mine and a half on the turf. Where are the Chad Brown horses? Isn't this strange? Um, it's... There's a lot of kind of different subplots going on, I feel as though, in this race. You have Cross Border, who's trying to remain undefeated at Saratoga. A horse, I think we can say for course at this point. Um, sometimes I feel like that's an expression that's overused, but Cross Border loves it here at Saratoga. Yes, he's undefeated via DQ last time um, in that Bowling Green, though a valid disqualification of Sadler's Joy. Though, you know, I really like Sadler's Joy going into that race in the Bowling Green. I thought he looked better than ever, um, considering he ran a good race, but not without some interference. And, and Sadler's Joy is not a horse who's ever going to win by, uh, you know, margins. He's going to win by a length, a neck, a half a length kind of thing. Um, Cross-border, it depends what they do. If they're using Marzo again as a somewhat of a rabbit. Um, but I think that, I, th I mean, Channel Maker did run well last time. But I really think his best days are possibly behind him now as a six-year-old. And it's really up to the cross-border uh, Sadler's Joy showdown once again. We'll see what... Uh, Pedro Cara does coming in for Grand Motion. Thought he was a little bit interesting. You know, often see horses coming by way of Qatar um, through fr France and Spain. But the fact that he cites a grade one sword dancer as his first start here in the States, I think is is kind of interesting and speaks of some confidence that he's training well. Absolutely. I don't think Grand Motion would put them in without legitimate reason to believe that the horse could stack up at least a little bit. Of course, very tough defeat for him with uh, Mean Mary and the Diana. I, you know what? I'd love for him to just get it based on that last weekend. Uh, exactly. I mean, he's been runner-up in the Diana, I think, six times now. It, it, that's heartbreaking. And, and all of them have run winning races, too. So, um, yeah, it would be a little bit of a, a, a validation for Graham to win. It's been a tough meet for him. So I think uh, winning a grade one would uh, really help his mood. <laughs> Makes it won't be easy, 
but I definitely would love to see how Pedro Cara shapes up. And mm. It's a like you said, interesting travel path for this uh, four-year-old by Pedro the Great. Yeah, <laughs> intriguing stallion as well. But we'll see how he gets on. I'd love to hear hear, hear your thoughts on the two-year-olds at Saratoga. Mm. This meet, you did a lovely little feature, sort of outlining your top five uh, with Golden Pal, the number one, this, the incredibly impressive winner of the Skidmore was second at Royal Ascot in the Norfolk. Uh, talk a little bit about him and about some of the other horses you included in your top five. Uh, well, Golden Pal, you know, secured number one status because it was just so fast. And the fact that Arad Ortiz was... I mean, he shook him up a little bit, and then once he saw he was winning by that much, he actually geared him down. So there's every reason to believe he actually could have gone faster than he than the minute and three-fifths that he, he went in, or four-fifths, whatever it was. He was three-fifths off the track record. So, I mean, he's doing that as a two-year-old. And it's hard to believe that he was a maiden going into that race, but as Wesley just said to me, he was hoping and waiting to see that and it was it was validating for him to have golden pal um come on and do that in the skidmore uh and that's the highest speed figure that two-year-old has run here at the meet uh as far as some of the other ones and two i think the pedigree with golden pal is so intriguing being out of such a talented turf sprinter and lady shipman and uh uncle mo i that's probably one of my favorite pedigrees as well um but I think um, reinvestment risk, who we'll hopefully see in the hopeful coming back, as well as Jackie's Warrior, a nice matchup between them. Reinvestment risk, I think, ran really, really well. It's not as if, you know, he was a two-year-old that just went straight to the lead and, and never looked back. He took dirt, he was down on the inside, he persevered through a hole, and went on to draw off by seven and change. So... I think his performance was really, really impressive as well. And Chad said to me that he had two upstarts in his barn, which um, the other one will run tomorrow um, in that sixth race. And he said they might be two of his best. So we'll see. It looks like a salty um, main special weight on the card. Yeah, and then, of course, you have the other two, Asmussen, Horses as well. Yep. Jackie's war Warrior, Grade Two, Saratoga Special Winner, and Calibrate. I mean, Asmussen and two-year-olds. He just you, you can't leave him off your ticket, can you? Oh, I feel. I think he's won twenty-four or twenty-five of the two-year-old races run this year, which is astonishing considering we haven't had as many as we typically do on a regular year. So his two-year-olds are just. Uh, they've just been super, super impressive. Um, Jackie's Warrior and Calibrate as physicals look like four-year-olds, you know, as opposed to two-year-olds. He did say to me though after Cantata. One, by like 10 and change, um, really destroying a field of fellow Philly two-year-olds. That that was it, though. That was, the, she was the last one of the very talented ones that he had. So he was like, I'm always a little bit sad when that happens. <laughs> but at least he still has them to kind of come back in those stake races then. He fired all his Saratoga bullets. Bullets. That's what he alluded to, yep. <laughs> of course, you also included Toby's heart. She won the Bolton landing for Brian Lynch. Jose Ortiz on board. What do you make of her? That was on the turf? Uh, she, now, she had every reason to kind of take a somewhat slight 
step back as far as race, as far as, you know, the time and the figure and everything because her first race was so impressive at, at Churchill where she didn't break well. She completely circled the field and drew off to win by open lengths. I mean, just it, it was very visually impressive. But while the Bolton landing wasn't as visually appealing, she still overcame breaking a little slowly again, a somewhat slowish pace while circling the field. And Joyce Rocket is a talented horse for Steve Asmussen as well. And um, she just, I think she is kind of a true turf sprinter. We'll see though if she develops and turns out to be one that can go a little bit longer, you know, turf milers. We have a pretty nice program here in the States for those turf milers. Aside from the two-year-olds, what would would have been your favorite performance of the Saratoga meet so far? Uh, Tis the Law, winning the Travers, definitely. I, I mean, for a horse that we've had here in New York, he yeah, he ran in Florida too, but um, being a New York bred, watching him break his maiden here last year, and then while we can't ha- have fans on on track here this year, I was on track with my pony, and as Manny was galloping out, the cheers from people standing on the outside fence or from the horseshoe, which is back behind the 7-8 chute um, across Nelson Avenue, it was, like, really touching. Like, he feels like a horse that everybody kind of can get behind and root for, especially with Sacatogo Sable. And they're, I think Jack Knowlton said that they are the maybe one of the only uh, ownership groups to have won all three legs of the Triple Crowns with, of the Triple Crown with two different horses, and this year he's doing it in a completely different way. But um, at least he won the Belmonts, where Funnyside couldn't quite get there um, when he won the Derby and the Preakness many moons ago. And I remember you then chatting to Manny, and I can hear that there was some emotion in your voice as well. What did that sort of that moment? feel like for you well and too with Manny a, a guy that I've watched from day one you know starting his career out as a as an apprentice here in New York and that I've watched develop and for him to have a horse like this and for Barkley to stick by him um as he has is I, I think means a lot and it means a lot to our game to show that there's there's loyalty in here and and even the somewhat underdog can achieve greatness yeah and you chat with a lot of different people during your interviews when you're on TV with currently the Saratoga live shows as well as America's Day at the races. Uh, What is it like to meet all these different connections? You must, you know, you must have had some fun interviews, maybe some a little bit tricky. Yeah, some, some tricky, you know, there's some, there's some jockeys that don't want to talk to me and maybe just because their English isn't as good and they don't feel confident and speak to me but I always try to make it very comfortable and make myself approachable uh and to you know they they I think with dealing with connections as far as trainers and jockeys me galloping in the morning and being out there in the morning and them seeing me in that environment too where they can just chit chat with me makes them feel that much more comfortable to talk to me on camera. And how do you go about preparing for interviewing all these different people? Do you have notes for every single horse or connection that might win or do you wing it sometimes? It's just a lot. It's it's repetition of having done it so many times that, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I can't for the life of me sometimes remember, wait, you won this race with that horse or who do you have in tomorrow? Like sometimes I'll just point blank ask them, you know, before we go on camera, like, 
wait, who do you have running tomorrow? Oh yeah. <laughs> so um, I always obviously have on my pad the, the you know, the PPs for the several days in advance. But um, no, it's just, it's just knowing connections, knowing what they've done in the past. And, you know, sometimes I'll make notes as far as the stake races, how many times they've won it in the past or if they've won it with a notable horse. Would there be a favorite or a fun interview that stands out to you or that's sort of most special over the last, what, 11 years, you said? Um, interviewing my husband after the ballerina win was pretty fun. Um, me being in floods of tears and trying to compose myself for that. Uh, there, I, there's been a lot. There's been a lot of... I mean, I remember when Greg Sacco won the hopeful with mind control. It was his first grade one win, and he was crying, and he, you know, he was just hugging everyone. He gave me a big hug, and, like, I was just so happy for him because, like, I had felt that a couple years prior with Tom winning the ballerina, and you can't help but get caught up in that kind of emotion and what it means to these people to win these races here. Yeah, because the ballerina with Have You Gone Away was his first grade one win. Uh, Going to get back to your husband, Tom, and of course the fact that you're a proper racing family, really. <laughs> but we'll go back sort of to uh, the fact that you have been with the New York Racing for about 11 years and you mm-hmm. are kind of the face of the New York racetracks, the, the face in the paddock, the, the voice they hear. Uh, <laughs> pressure much on that front? Uh n- really I, I guess I've kind of gotten used to everything in a way um you, you know you take the you take the the beats and the criticism in stride and you keep on trucking and aside from like I just said you you're doing interviews but your main job would be to look at horses in the paddock to to mm-hmm. see how are they looking are they stacking up to what their form is suggesting you're paid to have an opinion But sometimes that also means that a horse that you thought looked better in the past now doesn't look as good. How tricky can that be to put that into words without uh, triggering anyone? Uh, Yeah, that's that's something I have learned along the way to be as, as kind and politically correct as I can possibly be with also conveying my opinions about the horse um so it's something that has taken a lot of practice um and to not be too harsh and to uh, for people though to get the picture that maybe this horse isn't doing as well if it's if it's a you know a short price horse and and look I've had people come back and say to me like trainers say to me like you're right like that horse doesn't look as good as you know back when several months ago or something like that so yeah so is it now more that everyone's sort of used to the fact that you have an opinion and that you're trying to, you know, be honest? Because in effect, you're there for the betting public, right? right. So yeah. then it's your job to actually give them a good idea as to where to put their betting money. Exactly. Um, that's that's what I've always said. That's what I've always, you know, strive to give that information. And I think, yeah, connections kind of get that now. And um you know, I think I have a pretty good relationship with a lot of the trainers. Um, now, it's if anything, it's the owners that get a little bit more upset with me because they're not quite as used to dealing with me, and I don't have that daily connection with them. Yeah, because the majority of trainers you would see on the back, so like you mentioned before, you have a bit of chit-chat. Right. Has there ever been a case that they're like, my horse looked great, you said he didn't look great, and they didn't agree with you? Yeah, oh yeah. I, I mean, sure. And I, I understand, like, it's... 
I think I say it's my opinion. And it's, I mean, I I don't think I'm always right and everything like that. And look, there's been times where, let's say a horse has been claimed from my husband and I'll say, look, I think this horse looks better or he's sharper or whatever. So, uh, and Tom Tom gets that better than anyone. So and he doesn't gets, give you he, a he, he, he has, my husband has like the greatest Oh, I married him, so of course I think he has the greatest personality in the world. But he, you know, he he is resilient. And he is like Teflon and things just roll off his back. And he gets it. He gets it that that's my job. So, and and he gets that I'm extremely honest. And he knows he I wear my heart on my sleeve. So any interesting conversations at the dinner table at night sometimes or? And no, we do tend to leave work at work though. Okay, very that. Reminds me a little bit about Sheldon Russell and Brittany Russell, who are mm-hmm. also training training partner, both slightly different than training and, and jockey. And right. he said something similar. He was like, "No, we know that this is work, and that you know, home is home." And that they something kind of about those English guys, you know. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, Hold yeah, on. yeah. Sheldon English. Yeah, they, they don't play games. They're straightforward. And what is our relationship? Is our relationship and. That's the end of the story. And then uh, Christina and Dan Black. And Dan, so I mean, exactly. Hmm, there's a trend Brittany, emerging Brittany, Christina, here. and I, we know the secret. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, it must have been one in the accent, huh? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so as going back to looking at the horses in the paddock, for listeners that don't really know exactly what you're looking at, um, are there certain things that are the f- sort of first high on your list, like a shiny coat, you know, well-hydrated movement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, definitely. I, obviously a fitness um, as well, that definition that you want to see in a horse. And two, just that f- kind of forward energy. But it, it does take knowing horses, and that's why I have the notes I have compiled, because if they're always, you know, just kind of dull acting, then fine. You know that they've been dull and they've gone out there and won. So, okay, that's how that horse is. Um, or if they always get a little washy, something like that. Um, or if they never carry their weight well. And it, I will say if there's one that never kind of carries their weight well and then, like, I don't see them for a year and now they're a year older, a four- or five-year-old, and suddenly they're this big kind of more massive and muscular type of individual, that's always when I'm, like, this horse has turned a corner and that's, you know, I love to see that progression with horses and that's often when they will go out there and outperform maybe their odds or what their form would suggest. How many hours would you spend preparing for your on-air job and then handicapping and, and going through your notes? Um, I mean, it depends. If there's a lot of babies, a lot of baby racing. I spent a lot of times on a lot of time on those races, going through pedigrees, going through workouts, um, or going back to my notes and, and watching their replays. And I mean, as far as time is concerned, it varies. I mean, I would say you know a good two to three hours goes into each race card. Um, sometimes. If it's a card, let's say at Aqueduct, where I know the horses and all my notes are right there and I've been watching the races, then it might take me less time. <laughs> and going back to the fact that we're doing Saratoga live shows here, how is that slightly different from, for example, the America's Day at the races? Now, I know normally Saratoga is just a lot more, you know, grandeur and, and the experience of the fans and that's still not the same, but the shows are also longer. What is the experience like for you? Actually, I mean, it's still a lot because... 
I think your prep work is always going to be more for Saratoga because you're often dealing with horses coming from different avenues, from different racetracks across the country, and you're dealing with the graded stakes action and the baby races. So the prep work is always going to be there, but it's great for Saratoga Live because I get to split the day with Acacia. So I get a little bit more time some with the girls per se. But as far as, you know, America's Day at the races back at Belmont or Aqueduct, I'm, you know, you only get a little bit of a break and you're kind of on all day. But that becomes, there's less time between the races and that becomes, you know, you kind of get in the flow and you're like, boom, paddock, winter circle, paddock, winter circle. And it, it you know, it just kind of goes by quicker than what you might anticipate. Yeah. And you just mentioned your daughters. You have two lovely mm-hmm. little girls, Grace and Willow. And as you said, a racing family. How do you juggle your duties being on air, also being assistant to your husband, Tom Morley, who is a trainer? How do you divide your time doing all of that? And you mentioned you even get on a few in the morning. Yeah, well, I, you know, I've kind of curbed getting on horses. I'm only, I'm only out there when I'm needed, though I miss it and I love it. And I, there's, you know, there's horses in the barn right now that I wish I was riding kind of thing. Um, but, uh, so I, I try now it's more, okay, my job and the girls and then whatever I can do at the barns kind of third. Um, but it's not, it's not easy, especially when you have an infant and sleeping isn't the biggest priority of that. <laughs> so, um, but you, you muddle through, you make it and you make yourself when you're home with your kids, the happiest and most available person that you can be. You mentioned that there's a few in the barn that you wouldn't mind sitting on. Uh, of course, I'm going to ask you, which are they? I have uh, half a name here I was going to ask you about, but I'll let you just divulge first. It's probably not the name you were talking about, but uh, 90, <laughs> 91 Assault. He's our house horse. Uh, Tom owns 75% of him. We've had him for going on four year, three or four years now, um, and he's just a wonderful ride. Um, he's a Louisiana bred by Artie Schiller, and he's just those horses that you just dream about riding. They just bow their head, and they just tow you around there, boom, 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 boom. Um, and he's, you know, he's big, and he's scopey, and he's just got a great personality as well. He's a little bit spoiled, but he should be. I mean, he's he's uh, he's been a very productive runner in our barn. How about two-year-olds? Do you have any mm-hmm. exciting prospects in the barn this year? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> we really don't. I'm pretty sure you gave the same answer to Andy when he asked you last year. I was watching back at the, at the post. It's true. And you and were like, Tom no. Tom said to me two years, or two years ago, two days ago, he said, I said, well, how's this two-year-old doing at Belmont? Blah, blah, blah. Terrible. No good. I, and he's like, oh. I have no two-year-olds that I'm excited about. I'm like, what the heck? So it's all about like the older horses now. I mean, there's Xanthique. Um, oh, she's who we been love. running her heart out. Yeah, she, who we love. Um, and 90. And he, he does have a maiden that he likes that I've sat upon. A three-year-old that was supposed to run yesterday but rained off the turf in scent. She by Uncle Mo? Yes. Uh, What's she called? Scent. Scent. Is how you say scent. it. C-E-A-N-T. C-E-A-N-T. It's, I don't know. It, Tom said to say it scent, but okay. That, that's how I'm going by what owners and trainers have said. But um, um, I sat on her twice in the mornings up here, first two days up here. Um, lovely mover. And Tom said that she worked very well today with blinkers on. 
Um, right. And it, re- it made a massive difference with the blinkers on. So um, we'll see. Tom's kind of iffy if he really wants to run her. There's a ma- mile maiden race coming up at the end of the meet. But all the jockeys, most of the jockeys aren't here. And the jockeys that are here have two to three calls in the race. So he might just wait to run her back at Belmont to on a more pristine turf course as well. The reason I asked is I saw her work. One day I was at the barn. And oh, wow. I remember that I asked who she was. She's like, oh, she's just, she's just going to go and work on the mm-hmm. turf. And I remember watching her and I was going, who is this? Because she looked very good. Like I said, very smooth mover. Yeah. mover and just, you know, very well proportioned. Mm-hmm. I was like, I need to remember this. I was yep. like, I'm glad you gave me that. Actually, I, I mentioned her to Bobby. Uh, for all the listeners that don't know, Bobby's one of our producers who is the biggest Tom Morley Bond fan would always come to your barn to yep. go and give them because I was like, you have a new one, Bobby, go and get her treats. So I'm sure he'll turn up uh, oh, yeah. at least before the end of the meet oh, yeah. to, to come and say hello again. Yep. Going back to another horse that's in your barn, Jaeger. How I just wanted to mention because also I've now had a personal experience preparing him for your uh, on-air duties. Jaeger, for everyone that doesn't know, is the horse that Maggie rides when she conducts the on-track interviews. He doesn't always cooperate. Now he's doing great. There has been some iffy moments. He's, uh. he's won Asuka. He's by Medagliadoro. So, you know, a racehorse in his own right, but now with a second career. Yeah, he is my jack-of-all-trades, master of none. From Ascot to Aqueduct, Yegi has won it both. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I... So, the story with Jaeger is he is a New York bred. He was running in England, and he kind of fell by the wayside. He got hurt. Then he had to have colic surgery over there, and he wasn't running quite as well when Jeremy brought him back after those setbacks. And Tom said, why don't because Tom used to work for Jeremy Nosita, why don't you send him to New York? I mean, you'll be running for loads more money being a New York bred. So he ran, he won his third start for us off of the layoff, and then he ran a couple more times, and he, and he was working out one morning, and he fractured his hind sesamoid. Luckily, it's Patty Hogan, Dr. Patty Hogan, she removed it to make him, obviously not a racehorse, but to make him comfortable enough to become a riding horse. And that he has. I mean, it's not it's not pretty looking at that hind ankle, um, as I'm sure you've seen. But um, I, I we gave him nine months off, and I brought brought him back like right after I had Grace and kind of did dressage work with him and it it made him quite sound I mean because as you know being an equestrian as well um, that dressage work is essential for horses just bending them and getting regaining that strength and learning how to use themselves properly so that's what I did and then we were going to New Orleans and I didn't want to keep him at the farm on Long Island so I said to our assistant at the time, just try to ride and make him, try to make him a pony. Well, she hated him, said he was so awful to ride. And Jaeger is kind of one of those horses that if he's not like your son, like he is Tom and me, you, you sometimes don't like him. So anyway, so, so Tom and I worked and we got him to be a decent enough pony. Um, and then two, I also ri- rode him in the Real Rider Cup in which he refused Two fences, knocked down all but two. Um, and it was a complete, and popped a splint as well um, during the course. <laughs> complete disaster zone. But um, I love my Yegi. He's, uh, 
he's kind of has the mentality of a Jack Russell in that he just wants to mess with you. And if you like get after him, he's just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Kind of, you know. <laughs> so, okay, I'll try and behave yeah. because yeah. you are forcing me right. to. Yeah, yeah, whatever, mom. <laughs> yeah, no. Do you like him? He's been uh, at least half well behaved. He tries. He tries, but he's been right. good now. So uh, going back to that equestrian side, the, the dressage side, because you grew up at the barns at Laurel where mm-hmm. your dad, uh, Howard Wolfendale, is currently still training. I think he's got one no, horse. No, he lost his horse. Really? Yeah. They claimed oh, no. him as a nine-year-old. Minor squest, right? Yeah. 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 Nine-year-old. Oh, who would do that? Sorry. Ping pots. Oh, okay. okay. So, guys, we all know what happened there. Yeah, that's, uh, wow. Oh, gosh. I'm very sorry to hear that. Of course, um, yeah. all the listeners that aren't aware, uh, Wayne Potts has been banned from Law Park for mm-hmm. paper training for another trainer that had been banned. So, long story short, short uh, Sol Sinatra, the CEO of the Maryland Jockey Club, decided that um, his time was up. Yep. So, Rightfully so. Wondering where mine is, Chris, is oh, right now. Me too. Hmm. We'll get on to a better subject yeah. here. Uh Laura Park Racer, you grew up on the backside. What was that like? And did that make you go, I want to do some something more in horse racing? But you didn't turn out to become a trainer, though. <laughs> That's why I didn't become a trainer. <laughs> it's not, it's, training is not easy. I mean, it all falls on the trainer. Um, it is a profession that's, you know, 24-7. And look, I can, I get that. I'm, I, I pride myself on being a hard worker but it, I just I wanted a job where I had a steady paycheck every week but I also loved you know growing up I loved listening to on-air talent and handicappers and um, reading the program and that's how I learned to read when I was four or five so um, reading the horses names um, but growing up in the barn with my mom and dad, it was, you know, a great family environment and it taught me a lot about looking at horses. I mean, that's how I have my job now is because I grew up in a claiming stable where you claim a horse and see how you can change them or improve them or, you know, looking at horses to claim. So, um, that's, I, I, and too, I just learned a lot of horsemanship stuff and, and learned how to gallop and everything like that and pony um my my parents pony that they had since I was before I was born Rodney is how I got my my feet wet on the racetrack and I'll never forget the day that he ran off with me as well I don't think I think for anyone I'm assuming majority listeners wouldn't have been racist but nobody like majority people will never forget the first time they got run off with mine have it at the British racing school in England in the indoor school oh my gosh and you would would think oh well she turned out to be a terrible writer thank god I was actually half decent once I figured out how it works right because riding dressage horses I was taught never to pull on a horse never to put pressure in the rival do that with racehorses and you and ride leg long, which you can't. So you're gone. Yeah. So that was yeah that was, <laughs> um, that was you have to learn to put your irons up. I remember once I started galloping, and obviously I rode dressage before I started galloping, and then going out to the farm and riding my dressage horses, being like, oh my god, I'm riding too long. Like I feel like I'm you know I'm gonna fall forward or something like that, or I can't sit back. Um, so it's it's a complete adjustment but it's also very useful in both aspects I mean I learned to be a much braver rider having galloped and galloping I learned to you know frame a horse up uh, teach them the bend do figure eights back in the chute to get a horse that might be a little one-sided to use themselves on the other side so they can develop and, and get stronger in that respect 
and definitely improving resources that way. At least that's mm-hmm. the experience I had applying yeah. the dressage skill that I learned yeah. back in Europe when I was uh, breaking in babies or riding horses at the track in Australia to really get them, like you said, to frame them right and to really make sure yeah. that they're straight and they actually right. use both sides equally. So very much related that. <laughs> and uh, well, you have a degree in mass communication and broadcasting mm-hmm. from Towson University in Maryland. Uh, mm-hmm. You, you said that came about because you were always listening to on So you, you knew what you wanted to do from a young age then? Not, yes and no. I, I enjoyed showing a lot. So I thought maybe if I could go down that road, I would. But showing, you know, getting to the top level of show horses is you have to either have some money behind you or have money yourselves because you're not getting paid in the show world. So racing is a much more lucrative option for anybody to get to get involved. You know, racing is the American dream, you know, packed into one. You can be a nobody and be a somebody. And if you have that good horsemanship skill, if you just have that horse, my mother always said a good horse is like a loaded gun. It can go off in anybody's hands. So, um, but so racing, it has that, just that appeal to it as well. So that's why I kind of went to the racing side. And as far as the broadcasting, I've always enjoyed writing. I've always enjoyed getting up and speaking in front of people. Um, and I think I went, I went to community college first because I wanted to still show my horses and, and just kind of keep a smaller class load. And you know, one of the requirements, one of the gen ed classes is a speech class. And I just like loved it. And I was like, you know what, I'm definitely going to buckle down and this is what I'm going to do. So from that class onward is when I decided to to go down this avenue. Well, I'm pretty sure you've done quite well. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you're one of the people I look up to myself and I've learned so so much from in terms of, you know, when you're presenting yourself in the paddock and you weigh you even just your your throws between horses because I think that in a way I look at horses similar, but sometimes different. But yeah. I, I love listening to the smoothness at which you actually try. This is a this sounds very insider talk, guys. For all the listeners here, <laughs> uh, it's actually really difficult to sometimes move from one to the other horse or to keep things sounding very natural because it's right. a bit unnatural what you're doing, really. Right, exactly. So that's why I mean I think my cameramen get annoyed with me because I want to stand and position myself in the middle of the horses. And they're like, why are we standing over there? And blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, I have to be close to the horses because I have to look at them while I talk about them. So so I know what I'm saying. And then sometimes I get confused when I'm looking at it because you also have to look down too. So yeah, it's, like I said, it's a lot of repetition. And I was, I was pr- probably pretty bad, or I was bad when I started off with that transitional and, you know, getting your, your verbiage right and, and, you know, your description of things and, and how to parlay that to people. And in terms of your goals, I know that we're doing so many hours uh, with Fox Sports, which is phenomenal, the, the amount of hours that currently are on. It seems to be ever growing. Is this the place you want to be? Or would you say, actually, I would love to maybe want to do other sports or anything else? Or is it always going to be racing for you? At, when I first started, I thought maybe I would like to do other sports, but... I mean, racing is just me. It's just my heart. It's my family. It's everything. And I I just love horses so much that I couldn't, like, be away from... Like, it actually... I look forward to getting on Jaeger so much on the weekend shows because right now he's the only horse I'm riding that I know that if I was completely removed from, from 
racing or being around horses, I would be depressed. I, I, and I know that. I know that because of coronavirus and being locked down and not going to the barn. And I, and plus having a baby, you know, your hormones are all crazy. But I did just have Willow uh, at that point. But I hadn't seen a horse in, in 45 days. I hadn't been around a horse physically. And as soon as I went out in mid-May to the barn, it, it was like the black cloud just lifted. And they just are so good for your soul, or at least mine. (laughs) They are for me too. Yeah. I I don't get the chance to sit on many as often anymore, which I very much regret because I miss it too. So sometimes when we go around, I go, can I just pet them? And I feel like a 10 year old again, patting a horse. So I I know exactly where you're coming from. And just wanted to pick your brain about some completely different uh, racing, uh, well, racing community that I know nothing about. You're home away from home, New Orleans. Mm. I know that you and Tom have been frequent frequently stabled down there. Tell me a little about when did you guys start going there and, and what is it like? It's funny. So for Tom's birthday in 2016, actually, I, do, <laughs> I planned a trip to go to New Orleans. It's a city that neither of us had been to, but were longing to go to. Um, and of course, a week before we left, I found out I was pregnant with Grace. So really good city to go to when you just find out you're pregnant because <laughs> like you want to eat oysters, you want to drink, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, we went and we absolutely fell in love with it. And Tom, that winter had had horses in Florida and Ocala and it just didn't work out. Like we didn't like racing at Gulfstream. We didn't mind Tampa, but you're running for nickels and dimes there. You know, the purse structure is not, it, it's a great surface and everything, but you want to run for a little bit more money when you're coming with New York horses um, and used to New York purses. So we said, let's go to fairgrounds. Plus, you don't, I mean, you have to deal with Brad Cox and Joe Sharp, but you don't have to deal with Chad Brown and Todd Pletcher. You know what I mean? Um, so it's a, it's not easier by any means, but at least you're you're kind of mixing up the, the pool a little bit. But we love New Orleans as a city. It's not, you know, it's a city where you either love it or hate it because it it, it can be a little rough. It can be, you know, the crime and what have you. Um, but it's a really fun city. It's by far the best food city I've ever been in. Um, Tom and I love our food. So, um, and we've actually formed some, some great friends down there that are just locals and um, people that will be a part of our lives forever. And as far as being stabled there, it's, it's not easy because the help situation, um, I think you have a really good crew of top level grooms and exercise riders here in New York because it's where the money is. And not that the money isn't fair down there, but I I think they like to stay here in New York. They kind of have their family there. So getting people to go there, that's the biggest hurdle that Tom and Tom has to overcome is the help situation there. Um, And the backside at the fairgrounds isn't Belmont Park or Saratoga to say the least. Um, But it's a, it's a fun place to go to the races. So how many months a year would you guys go down there? Like we've been, Tom and I have gone down there ourselves for three months, but obviously we have horses down there from November till the end of March. That's quite a a fair bit of time to be away Mm -hmm. from the horse indeed, but you didn't go this year. Yeah, because I had Willow and I wanted to stay with my doctors here in New York. 
very very on the zone. Is there yeah. any like on the foreseeable future or on the cards that you guys will be going back again? Yeah, I think we'll we'll go back this this winter. I mean, we we had horses down there. Actually, we only had two at the end of the day, and we did really well. Um, Brendan Walsh's uh, and his team helped us out, um, and uh, we well taking on a really sad note. We unfortunately we had a longtime groom, a local um of new orleans um tommy lee edwards who when we went down there got sick diagnosed with cancer and passed away a couple weeks ago so it's going to be bittersweet to go back to new orleans this year without tommy um he was a part of our family part of our racetrack family and um he loved his horses i was talking about 91 assault and he that was his baby he spoiled him it was like this father-son relationship that they had so yeah, going to New Orleans this year will be bittersweet without Tommy um, there, for sure. Well, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that. Yeah, I feel like we, we end up on these like, sort of sadder notes. I know, bit, sorry. I don't mean to. No, no it's not your fault. But it's... I just, I Tommy just, as I, I want people to know that there's there's great people um, involved in this industry um, behind the scenes. And Tommy was a superstar. I feel like your barn, the team behind Morley Racing is such a close-knit family. And I know personally, yeah. of course, Harry is not working for you guys anymore. But it really feels uh, like everyone he is... He still shows up at the barn whenever okay. he's in Saratoga <laughs> and rides Jaeger and does whatever Tom makes him do. So <laughs> he's our adopted son. Yes, Harry Rice, uh, the fourth. <laughs> Jesus, this is the he fourth? He is the fourth. I'm going to give him... I'm yeah, give I know. Him I... I know, I lose track myself. <laughs> uh, of course, a wonderful racing family mm-hmm. themselves, but I think that speaks volumes of uh, you, the team that you have and the connection that you have together and how much everyone cares about each other and, and the yeah. horses that you have. And Unfortunately, you don't have any exciting two-year-olds, but I do hope that you guys are going to have a, a wonderful season despite you know, everything that's currently going on in, in the pandemic. But uh, so far, I mean, how's the Saratoga going? I mean, the horses have run well. When they're in the right spots, we do uh, only have the two two winners, but um, Xanthique ran, jumped up and ran a huge race. There's some others that have run well, um, but it's all about having the right horse for the right spot, and you know, hopefully, it'll be better at Belmont. Not that anything gets easier, but I think too with the pandemic. A lot of the horses needed starts to kind of shake off the ring rust, get fit again. And so I think heading into Belmont Fall, hopefully we'll have, you know, a better a better chance at it. Do you feel like, because we're now about six months into the pandemic, there's just a little bit more of a routine and we, we all know right. a little bit more what we're doing. Right. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. Everybody's a little bit uh, more adjusted to the new normal. Yeah, unfortunately, it feels like it's going to be the new norm. But Maggie, I'm going to have to let you go. But thank you so much for your time. This has been absolutely, absolutely wonderful. And uh, catch her on Saratoga Live and all, well, all the Fox Sports show, uh, America's Day at the Races over the winter. 500 hours or something? You'll be on quite a few of them. Yeah, um, it's it's a lot of work, but I love every second of it. I really couldn't thank Maggie enough for her time, her candor, a sense of humor, and the role she has played and continues to play in my career. Next week, Derby Fever, listen to the Monster Pod covering every single horse created by the master himself in PTF. Listen to me and a fair few esteemed voices giving their two cents on the race of the year. Of course, I will be adding some more insight from 
just about anyone I can find at the spa to really get us all going crazy with Kentucky Derby Frenzy. Stay tuned. See you next week.